we make all kinds of connections from our neighbors to our co-workers from family members to people we interact with in business every day what about the connections we make to ourselves? today we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives this is things worth considering with hosts gord riddell and alexia georgiusis it's time to consider the possibilities Good evening and welcome to Things Worth Considering. We're a weekly talk show that presents ideas for you to ponder, um, hopefully ideas to disagree with, and things that are definitely worth considering. Uh, I'm your host, Gord Riddell, and I am here with my good friend and my co-host, Alexia Georgiusis, who happens to be a doctor of naturopathic medicine. Um, We are live. If you're interested in joining us um, and you'd like to call in, you can call us toll-free. Uh, from anywhere in North America is 888-346-9141. And from anywhere outside of North America, international callers at 001-480-553-5760. And uh, we have operators standing by. We have two fascinating people. Um, We talk about connections that is probably an area that we don't think a lot about sometimes, and that is the foster uh, family system. Uh, I'd, like you to introduce, I'd like to introduce, I'd like you guys to meet um, uh, Justin and Alexis Black. Uh, they are authors, speakers, and they are married, and they are in their lovely brand new home, I am understanding. They're the authors of Redefining Normal, uh, which is, uh, I just love that name. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Hello, everybody. You're uh, more than welcome to have joined us. I just think it's great. Um, Both of them have their own unique stories. They grew up in the uh, foster care program, obviously in different families. And then somewhere along the line, they met each other in college. Um, Now, this sounds like this could be, you know, sort of the perfect romantic novel uh, and film. And it is romantic. But they also have some really important messages uh, and learnings through their own lived experiences. And that's what we're here to talk about. And that's what your book's about. So why don't we start with Alexis? Let's, let's discover your, uh, your personal story before we get to the love story. <laughs> love yeah, absolutely. Story. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, a little background about me. Uh, so, again, I'm Alexis Black, and um, why not start at the beginning? So, yeah, um, let's do it. So, I would say around five or six years old, um, my biological mother died, and she died by suicide. And at that time, I went to go live with my biological father. And um, I would assume it's right around that time, um, at least from my memory, that uh, that's when the abuse started with him. Uh, And it was uh, physical, sexual and emotional abuse. And it lasted for about eight years. And it wasn't until I was about 13 that I was forced to speak up and say something. Uh, And not that I didn't say something before, but I was punished pretty severely uh, when I did. So Mm. at this point, it was um, pretty severe and uh, showing outwardly uh, to to other individuals to where uh, I had to speak up. I was, it was really forced upon me. And so at that point I was removed from his home and put into my aunt and uncle's home. And even though it was a family placement, it wasn't the best placement. Uh, partially 
because it was my dad's brother. Um, but then also uh, the bigger issue was his wife <laughs> and um, really? and just really oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So, uh, oh, sorry. Keep going. No, no, you keep going. I, I've just made a comment just that it was, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, really, what it was with her, um, she, I don't know if she saw me as a threat or what it was, but uh, when she would get upset with me, she would go down in the basement and grab my suitcases that I moved in with and would throw my stuff in it and threaten to kick me out. That the next placement would be worse than hers and all these horrible things about me. Uh, I can go on for years <laughs> about the different stories that happen. And you'll get some in the book when you read it, but uh, but it was really not the healthiest placement. And actually the best thing that happened was after about five years of living there was my junior year. And, um, uh, the summer between my junior and senior year, she actually packed up all my stuff and threw it in the driveway and told me to come get it and kick me out basically. And, uh, typically in a foster care, in the foster care world, you have about two weeks before you have to leave a placement, but she told me to leave that day. And in the moment I was beyond terrified, but it actually ended up being the greatest thing that's probably ever happened to me <laughs> because I left that home and I had the most amazing social worker and her name is Kim. And so is my mom's name, uh, my <laughs> adoptive mother. And uh, and so she called me and said, Alexis, I have the perfect home for you. Just be patient. And so I stayed at my godmom's house for about a week. And uh, and then I met my foster now adoptive mother, uh, Kim. And, and then I moved in with their, moved in with them for a few months. And even though they moved, um, out of, out of, uh, the city, they allowed me to move in with their parents so I could stay at the same high school mm-hmm. because by this time I was oh. at my 10th school. So they allowed me to stay in the same 10th, family. 10th school. You were at your 10th yeah. school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So they allowed me to stay at the same school. And luckily there was a law that was just passed in Michigan that allowed you to stay at the same school if you were within the same county, because there was, there's a huge issue with foster youth being um, taken from uh, kind of school hopping, really, like depending on your placement, right. you switch schools. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, that was a similar thing that was happening. And so it allowed me to stay at my same school and I had support uh, financially from my, from my high school, which was absolutely amazing. And I'm so thankful for that. And uh, then I went off to college. I went to the university of Michigan Flint first. And, uh, but by this time I was actually in an abusive relationship and I was in that relationship in total for eight years. And so it started in high school, uh, actually pre-high school, um, right before, uh, before I started. So from 13 to 22, and uh, went to the University of Flint, Michigan Flint to really follow him and then transferred to Western Michigan University where my parents had moved to. So they moved to Kalamazoo because they uh, they got a job there and also they're both former Broncos. So it made sense for me to go check out the university. And so I went and checked, stepped foot on the campus and I said, this is for me. And uh, my story just kind of took off from there once I was given, you know, that love and stability and, um, and a great fit at a university. And that leads up to meeting Justin. So I'll stop there. (laughs) Well, well, it's, it's an amazing, you know, in terms of amazing, isn't the right word. None of the words, I don't even know how to describe what you've been through and the incredible amount of, um, you know, resilience that you, Mm. you know, you must've had a tremendous desire to live. Mm-hmm. And to keep surviving. That's that's yes. my sense. Were you the only child? So I have a half-brother. Uh, but when I went to live with my dad after my mom died, we we split. So I only oh. got to see him sometimes. And then when I um, moved about an hour away for high school, it got really difficult to see him. Uh, and so we just would text. 
Right, right, right. right. No, I, the word resilience is exactly the word I was thinking of as well. Um, I mean, you just have like this wonderful, you know, face and your smile and so on. And I'm like, wow, this is a really horrible story, you know. And yet you have this light. <laughs> I, you do yeah. have a light that's there for you. you know, it's right. Thank you. Beautiful. So, so now. Anything about. Oh, sorry. I was just going to no, say, go I wouldn't change anything about what I've been through because it made me who I am today. So I'm, I'm very thankful for it because it put us in a position to write this book and to be where we are, where we could continue the conversation of everything in the book oh, and mm. today to continue the conversation. So that, I'm really thankful. So I'm not, I wouldn't change a thing. Wow. Wow. That's incredible and yeah, very inspiring. And, and, you know, Justin, what about you? Let's hear about you before we talk about your togetherness too. Yeah, so uh, for me, I uh, entered the foster care system at nine years old, but even before then, uh, I was uh, in the community in a neighborhood I grew up in was pretty uh, impoverished, and my my family deal with a lot of substance abuse issues, at least my parents, and there's three generations of domestic violence on my dad's side and two generations of drug abuse on my mom's side, so I had these generational barriers kind of on my shoulders, and even as a young child, um, the idea of roaches all over the house and the refrigerator being empty to the first of the month and with, with uh, food stamps came around and so many other things became normal. And it wasn't until my mom, you know, she had a heart for helping people, and especially those who've experienced domestic violence. So it wasn't until, you know, we had a, a family friend come and stay with us who was experiencing that. And she saw how the, the quality of life that we were living with no hot water and, and so many other things. And we don't have the proof, but we, we just guessed that she called Child Protective Services because the day she left was the next day Child Protective Services came to our home. And me and my family went on a run. It was uh, me, my mom, my dad uh, was in and out of the picture because I think if I'm remembering right, uh, my dad and my mom broke up at the time and my dad was just away for a while. and. It was me, my mom, and three three of my other siblings. So we went to uh, on the run from from child protective services, and we squatted in, in an abandoned house. So in this abandoned house, we lived there from pretty much October to March, and wow. no heat, no water, no source oh, of income or anything. This was in Detroit, and, if I recall. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In Detroit. Uh, okay. My my sister was eighteen years old. She was pregnant. And my brother uh, was 14 and had a baby on the way. And I had another brother who was uh, 11, yeah, 11, who was closest to me in age and I was nine years old. So we're basically just trying to survive during this time. And I get into detail in the book. I don't want to give too much of it away, but yeah, absolutely. like piling up clothes on the ground to, to sleep comfortably. So wood and nails wouldn't get into us while we sleep and, and scooping up snow off of the ground during the winter and watch it, letting it melt when we get inside so we can take showers and stuff and have water. And those type of realities became normal and gasoline heaters and stuff like that became normal or my our way of life from at least October to March. And I mean, of course, it felt like the, the, the worst winter ever in our lives because, you know, it, it was just oh. ridiculous. So uh, I'm there trying to shovel snow for money. But at a certain point, you know, me and my brothers, we get terribly sick vomiting and diarrhea and of course living in an abandoned house that's the type of things that would happen and uh, it got to a point where child protective services found where we were staying and my mom had no choice but to let us go into the foster care system so stemming from there uh, I deal with a lot of mental health issues because you know when, you, when your parents don't 
when you feel that your parents don't love you and give you that attention and, and things that you deserve, at least this is your understanding as a young child or a teenager, you know, you, you're so insecure about yourself and lack self, uh, so many self-esteem issues and mental health issues that I kind of carry that throughout my time in the system. And uh, it, it just affected me the entire time and, and wanting love and assurance, even in a good way, even in college when I wanted to be successful and do great things. You know, I, I remember going back to my mom and dad and saying, hey, look what I've done. Hey, look, I have this internship in Washington, D.C. You proud of me? What's going on? You know, and then when yeah. they didn't acknowledge me, it, it kind of feel empty. And I feel like that's a void that I've been trying to fill for a long time. And even as an adult, I have to be intentional about um, doing good things and, and achieving these accomplishments to inspire others who are in my situation. That's a that's Justin. a tough one, uh, you know. To you know, virtually be abandoned by your parents. I mean, kids don't understand. You know, like your mom didn't have any money. You know, I mean, that's not really the issue. It's that's my mom. You know, uh, and that's what makes it so difficult. The same as losing your mom, like when uh, Alexis, your mother, died. You know, that's an enormous, enormous loss um, to experience as a child because we don't have that mental peace. That it even understands. Like, where do you put that in a child? We think the children understand. They emotionally get it, but that's also mm-hmm. where the scarring is taking place. You know? mm-hmm. So, Justin, I'm really uh, impressed with your awareness of how in your adult life this appears again. And we know that these wounds can come, but there's both of you have incredibly some deep wounding, but also you don't see it that way. I mean, that, that's what I'm getting is that there, it's there, but it made you who you are. And it also must have required that you did a lot of work. Yeah, is, we, is we that... skipped it. Yeah, we, we skipped <laughs> ahead a lot in, in the story, especially me. I went from nine years old to college. But, <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we knew it, you were smart, to, though, Justin. That's, that's why we put this all this in the book, because it's hard to tell my story and, and, and everything in a couple of minutes. But, yeah, I mean, it takes – one thing we always talk about, and I've been really on my heart, is whether you're a foster youth or anything, dealing with anything in life, if you want to develop discipline, develop habits, or if you're overcoming drug abuse or anything, it, it's not just a light bulb that goes off that says, hey, I'm going cold turkey, everything changes. It's a daily process and daily decision to be better than you were the day before. And that's really how we were able to get to this point. And it took a lot of struggle, a lot of bad decisions and mistakes and everything a lot of mental health issues and struggles and why is life like this and you know why is life so unfair but it's, it's it we've had the right people around us so we, we we're thankful and blessed for that right. well i really hope that people that are listening and that we they do purchase your book i know they can go onto your website um, and you've got a few things which we'll talk about too that you guys do because you're also these serial entrepreneurs that are just you know <laughs> I don't know trailblazers. So uh, you, you say know, serial? We're not talking about Post and Kellogg. No, we're not. No. We're not. <laughs> no. We're talking about. So we're clear about this. <laughs> incredibly motivated individuals and uh, and this so they can go to uh, redefiningnormal.com and also even googling your names as well. Correct mm-hmm. to yeah. order yeah, the book. It's on Amazon and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Redash. Thank you. Redash defining normal.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, There's a 50% we... off sale today. Yes. Right? Have you put on yep. offer 50 uh, or 50%? Yeah. Offer 50? 
Was yep. So it's 50% off um, for autographed copies on our website at redashdefiningnormal.com with mm-hmm. promo code 50OFFRN. 50 off our end. I was most correct on that. Okay. Um, yes, yes. Uh, Yeah. People buy that. It's only 50, it's 50% off. It's better than you're going to get here. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, and really hearing you both speak about this, I can just imagine, you know, I haven't read your book yet. I have it, but I have not read it yet, but I can imagine what I read was a quote. Somebody said, honest, and vulnerable, this story is raw, wrenching, and necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible to read that. It just gives yeah. me the chills thinking that what is in this, and there's no way you can, uh, you know, sum it up in this show. We know that. It's really wonderful that you're here and that you're also showing that you don't have to define yourselves based on your past. But we'll speak about that more um, yeah. You know, as we and find it, out how you guys met. I think another important yes, part yeah. is, is that you can define yourself without the approval of other people. Mm, that's that's the that's the important part yeah. that we give that's people strategies part. and techniques to to kind of define their identity outside of the expectations of family, culture, and society based on our lived experiences. Absolutely beautiful. And on lived experiences, we have to go and live in the world of commercials. And we will be back in two minutes. You're listening to Things Worth Considering. We're redefining normal with uh, Justin and uh, Alexis Black. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Follow the Voice America Empowerment Channel on Twitter. You already know we're full of great ideas, and our hosts have plenty to say. We want to hear from you, too. Be sure to follow us at VA Empowerment and come back every day to see what's next. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, we're back with um, Alexis and Justin Black and their book, uh, Redefining Normal. 
So, let's go to university now, where you guys meet. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's the, the big, I mean, come on, Justin, we took you from nine to college. <laughs> yeah, nine to college. So, we may as well get you guys meeting up now and, and enjoying yourself. So, tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, I was, what was it, 2016? 2016, I was an incoming freshman at Western Michigan University. And what's very unique about Western Michigan University is they have the Cedar Scholars Program, which is a program for foster youth and higher education. And basically, this program is structured where uh, each student in program is given a campus coach, and the campus coach will basically help you navigate through your college experiences. But the foster care or not, I feel like a campus coach is needed for every single <laughs> college student. But basically, they help you with small things like budgeting, help you find their resources on campus. They'll even do small things like help you find your classes. Because, I mean, Alexis, tell you, she told me the story of uh, how she missed a few of her classes when she first got to Western because she just couldn't find where they were. Mm-hmm. And then she, <laughs> she got lost and she was super late and just gave up. So they help you with the small things to help you get adjusted to college life. And they also give you a scholarship, too, which is <laughs> pretty helpful as Bonus. well. But even more important than the scholarship money is the campus coaches. And with that, uh, during set week over the summer, which they help you uh, go over your uh, meet your campus coach, go over the things on campus that you need as far as where your classes are and help you get familiar with everything. Uh, they bring you in with a cohort of people and other foster youth who are entering the program. And I was an incoming freshman and I met this junior <laughs> in the book in the book we say the tat, I say the tattoo junior she I just remember seeing her she she sat at the table that where I was sitting during orientation and maybe she thought I was handsome then you know it's like, like, well, I don't know but I don't know about that I yeah. thought they were all babies I'm yeah. like these are all incoming freshmen I'm a junior these are babies uh, right <laughs> but yeah that's that's basically where we met and we just started you know, conversation from there and it, it started small and regular, but almost like we, we got each other's number and uh, every time we text or call each other, you know, our conversations just got better and deeper and it was always, it was always smooth and regular and, and it's like a, a regular friendship where I could talk to her about pretty much anything and four years later, we got married. So. Yeah, but I think he left out a huge piece. Um, okay, first of all, so we met on the first day of the program. And then I would say about two two or three days into the program, we started getting closer. And I've always been told basically by my ex, who was the abusive one, that I'm too difficult to love and all these, I have too much baggage and all these things negative about me that I internalized. And I would say the second or third day after we met that, uh, we walked around campus together after playing volleyball and uh, and then we sat on the grass and he said, tell me about yourself. And I know what he meant, but I was like, you know what? If he's going to leave, he's going to leave now. <laughs> and I just kind of ripped the bandaid off and told him pretty much everything of like, this is who I am. This is what, I, what I've been to been through. Take it or leave it. And because I didn't want to because. Um, already before with other individuals, I, you know, um, would open up a bit later about things that I've been through and stuff like that. And I kind of been, it's kind of been reiterated that I'm a bit much and can't, people can't handle it, uh, that I've been through too much. And Justin really just grabbed my hand and said, you know, I still think that you're beautiful and I would still love to get to know you. And I just start crying (laughs) because it was just, it was so beautiful and and just so, I, I don't know. I can't even think of the words. It just, it was just a beautiful moment um, that we had together. And 
Uh, and then we really just started growing our relationship from there. Um, and then a day or two later, he made a joke that he oh, said, um, <laughs> if you're not if you're not with somebody by the time I get by the time I graduate, I'll marry you. And then wow. lo and behold, Listen. he graduated wow. in 20. June 2020 and <laughs> we got married in August. So. I graduated in July. We got married in August. Yeah. That's oh, wow. incredible. So you wow. it's it's such a beautiful meeting and description that it sounds as if both of you have learned that you can see beyond the story. Mm-hmm. You see the person, not the not whatever has happened to them, but who they really are. Mm-hmm. But I don't yeah, think that was happening at first, from yeah. what I understand with you guys. Uh, you you had, like, when we go through trauma, we have all kinds of coping survival mechanisms and behaviors and feelings and hypersensitivity and so on. And my, my you know, what I understood uh, was that you started to see that begin to happen in your relationship. Sort of some of those old survival behavior, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, well, like what what you had just said, Alexis, of, well, we may as well lay it all on the line now and just vomit in front of him, and he can make a decision as to whether he wants to stay here or not. That's a survival. That's survival, you know? You yeah. had people leave you before because it was like, oh, you're too much, it's too big, it's too, you know, it's too scary. And so you, you learned, like, I may as well just throw it on the ground and see if he can even pick it off the ground, <laughs> yep. you know? So, yes. so talk, I'd love to know more about that element of, of uh, what was going on there. Yeah, you know, and like, we like getting that awareness, you know, is is really, mm-hmm. I just think it's so instrumental. What you're underlining is is that the more you know about who you are, the more mm-hmm. successful you'll be in connecting to people. Oh, 100 percent, fundamentally, absolutely true. And we talk about that a lot in the book. Of really, mm-hmm. just this has to be an individual journey of healing and self discovery. Fundamentally, it has to be. And that's exactly why we wrote the book and alternating accounts so that the reader can see it from every single topic that we talk about from each of our perspectives. And in the beginning of the book, we go into, you know, how we met cute, fluffy stuff. We got to get you hooked in. And then we and then we drop a bomb on you. Boom. Of like, these are our foundation of who we are and how we got to where we are. And, you know, go through the turning point, which we actually call it that and get to, you know, how we start to have to literally reprogram our minds mm-hmm. of, you know, what is, what is, um, what in our life is not healthy and safe and conducive for a healthy environment. And so we had to really do that individually in order right. to come together to have a healthy relationship. Cause I know firsthand because I've done it that if you seek relationships with individuals who are going to heal you and fill your voids and all these light and fluffy things that you think, think is going to happen, it will go the exact opposite because right more than likely they're also mm-hmm. broken and trying to look to you for the same. Yeah. And right. and so that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's exactly why I talked Justin into going to counseling because uh, he was like, I don't need to go to counseling. I have you. And I said, no, that's not fair because mm-hmm. I wouldn't put yeah. all my stuff on you to heal me and to, you know, get some stuff together with me because I'm not qualified for that. So you need to go to somebody who's qualified to do that for you. I'll be here as your partner. And to me, that was setting that boundary because I've always been the person to try to save everyone because I don't know if I had like a savior complex of just wanting to heal everybody around me all the time. But, you know, I had to do, figure that out for myself and it's not my job to heal you or fix you. You know, you have to do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me was, was, a huge step for me because I never did that before. <laughs> so that's it was, huge. Uh, that's a very wise woman. For me. Well, wise and also <laughs> courageous and, and the willingness to say, let's collaborate. 
that, that mm-hmm. you know, for Justin, for you to say, okay, Alexis gave me this sort of request. And also, it sounds like it was more than a request. It was essentially, hey, no, this is not fair. And you have to do your part as well. So it's, a, it's the accountability piece. Exactly. You know, which is yeah. which is great, and I I think that I love how you're describing the layout of the book because it sounds um, very intriguing as well in terms of and and also uh, as what I've said before, really inspiring. Um, you said something around that you're really looking at. You're very passionate about breaking generational patterns. Yeah, and yes. and yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so in my family, um, on my mom's side, I don't necessarily know too much about that, uh, just because my mother and my grandmother both died by suicide. And I did not know that. And if I feel that I feel that if I would have known that I could have done more to more preventative measures, I would say, because in high school, I was extremely depressed, a lot of things going on. Um, There was a point where I was so extremely stressed out and um and anxious and things where I had to have trifocals because I my brain I had so much pressure and in, in my head that I could barely see and um and now I don't wear glasses at all as you can see <laughs> and, um, and just and just how that physically messed with me and and I did have suicide attempts several times and I wish I would have known that that actually runs in my family because that, you know I could have done a bit more for that and so that's something on my mom's side and then my dad's side there have been abandonment and neglect and abuse uh, on my dad's side. And so, so knowing that this really runs in my family, how can I be, oh, an addiction. So how can I be a bit more, uh, lay more stuff on top, (laughs) Um, but how can I, you know, be more intentional on being who I need to be for myself, my partner, future kids, whatever it is, I need to I need to figure this out. And so that was going to take a lot of self-reflection and figuring out what that was. And so it's, it's a lot of intentionality. That is our favorite word. I should probably get it tattooed on my forehead or something just because we, <laughs> we talk about it so much, just being extremely intentional every single day on all the decisions that we make, on what we listen to, what we put into our body, what we put into our mind, our soul, everything. It all has an impact. And so for me, it was... Um, it's just being, being um, just incredibly intentional. And it comes down to, you know, do, should I take that extra medicine or not, or whatever it is. And, and knowing that addiction and things run in my family, it's, it's just being super conscious all the time. But then also the most beautiful thing about being completely vulnerable and transparent with each other is that we know each other fundamentally. And so we can hold each other accountable because I know who he is in his authentic form. And so does he with me. And so, you know, when we are a bit off or our, our body language or, or we do something um, that we don't normally do, we can call each other out on it because we know fundamentally of who each other is. And I think that that has been extremely helpful in, in our relationship and our growth. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. And also, again, going back to the fact that you guys are both pretty young but yet you're incredibly wise, right? The wisdom is just oozing out of you. And you've, you've, I'm, I'm wondering about forgiveness. How much has that come into both of you around your own, the people in your lives who trespassed and violated? Um, what, what, how is that in your lives? Well, for me, I would say, um, first, I mean, I'm a very spiritual person. So forgiveness is key to any and everything that I would need to do or want to do in my life. If I want to, uh, like we talked about, break those generational cycles. First, it starts with forgiveness. And 
before forgiveness, you hold on to this grudge of why wasn't my mom there when I needed her? Why wasn't my dad there? And and those ideas still try to pop into my mind sometimes. Like I'm a, a new homeowner. Why isn't my dad out here helping us move in? Why isn't my dad here? You know, why wasn't my dad there yeah. uh, sure. uh, when, when I first got my car? And I, I, I grew up in Detroit and, and never lived more than 30 minutes away from my dad. And always asking myself, why does he visit me more? You know, and holding that grudge and being angry. And that's something that I've, I've recently talked about in the book, but we, I kind of started to resolve even maybe like a, a year or two ago where I just came to peace with things with my mom and my dad. And it really took forgiveness to break that chain and really start something new. Because if I didn't start to go through the process of breaking that chain and trying to do things to fill that void, then I will pass some type of controlling or some just our past that reaction on to my children of okay my dad wasn't there for me then maybe I'll probably be a super controlling helicopter parent for my child and <laughs> I want to make sure I'm balanced and, and I'm doing what I need to do and I am who I need to be for my children and that forgiveness piece is very important when it comes to breaking that generational cycle structuring that new foundation and letting go it, it as much as forgiveness is for the other person, it's really for you to move forward and be the person that you need to be for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, for me, I mean, uh, my forgiveness, his forgiveness for his parents and stuff probably happened the last sooner than mine, but it took me a while uh, for my parents. And I, I really didn't forgive my mom. And I don't know, it probably wasn't until like 2018 or something like that, like pretty recent, uh, just because for so many years, I held that grudge that she knew what was happening with my dad. And she left me, she like physically left gone. And, um, and then that put me into the house of him. And, but now as an adult, obviously, like, you know, we have all these grudges and things as a kid, but (laughs) But now as an adult and um, even in writing this book, I did a crap ton of research on trying to figure out like who I am, what do I come from, what's in my family, all that. And I, I mean, I went as far as reaching out to my biological father's ex-wife through Facebook <laughs> and, and got scheduled a call with her and was like, can you tell me more about who he was before he had me and, and this, this and that? And have you ever met my mom? And just learned a lot of stuff about like who my mother was and found coworkers. She actually um, hung herself at work. And, uh, and I worked with the person that found her and it was just a hundred percent chance encounter finding this person and, um, and, and learning more, you know, just learning more about my biological mother and, and through this process, just really coming to peace of, you know, um, I have no idea what she was struggling with. I have no idea what was going on in her life to where she was suffering this much. Uh, and, and I can't fathom what that is. And so, um, and so with that, you know, I have to come to terms with it and I have to be able to forgive her because she made the decision that she did and she really felt that there was no way out. And um, and then reading court records and things, uh, she um, might like people try to get restraining orders against my biological father. Apparently somebody would come into my mother's work and would be almost stalking her and she was terrified. And then she was uh, trying to get sole custody of me and my dad was um, fighting her in court. And apparently my dad got, um, partial custody. And about a month later, that's when she committed suicide. So pretty certain it had something to do with that. Um, and, and so now, you know, with facts, I can make a better decision and know that I have to give forgiveness. Um, 
for myself, but also for her. And then with my father, uh, just really working through that process of knowing that, um, you know, I don't know what he may have gone through as a child and did somebody do some, some of these things to him and it's not a way of pity or, or, uh, or anything like that, but just knowing the cycle of abuse and generational abuse and how, um, these things pass down to your children. And a lot of times sexual abuse yeah. is, is one of the top ones. And so knowing, knowing that I, it does give me a, a bit more empathy. And, um, and so I had to really work through, you know, that forgiveness of, of him, but in, in order to have a healthy relationship with my husband and with men in general. Um, and then finally forgiveness of myself for things that I've messed up with and failed and people I hurt. Uh, and I went through this whole spree of calling people and saying, sorry for all the things I ever did. Um, and that was my way of working through forgiveness of myself. If I want to move forward and be who I, who I know I should be. Yeah. Children really carry, you know, with their sexual abuse, really carry the, the, uh, the weight of feeling that somehow they were responsible for it. And mm-hmm. that's probably one of the hardest pieces to let go of, yet it's one of the most important elements of the forgiveness piece of ourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what exactly I was meaning when I, you know, forgiveness yeah. of myself. Of, it's separating of those that. two things. That was, yeah. this is me, and that's what that person did to me, and I had nothing to do with it. You know, it's a exactly. power differential. Power differentials. Once again, we have to take a break here. We'll be back in two minutes with Alexis and Justin. We're redefining normal. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiusis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, just a reminder that if you would like to uh, uh, call in and get involved in this conversation, <clears throat> excuse me, with your own experience or uh, ask questions. Um, we have a toll-free number, and that toll-free number is not going to pop up for me just that easily. There we go. The toll-free number, I should have it memorized by now. 
is 1-888-346-9141. And that is toll-free from anywhere in North America if you'd like to give us a call. Back to you guys. Yeah, so Justin Alexis, when we... Dead silence. I love right, it. <laughs> before the break. But you also are now graduated. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you are... Tell tell us, first of all, about your entrepreneur activities, entrepreneurial activities, and also with Rose. Let's let's hear about those two. You want me to go? You can go there. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and I think, well, it started with, um, in 2016, my pastor, who's also my mentor, she really started to speak several things into my life. And one of those were being an entrepreneur and starting my own business. And I had no idea what that looked like, what that meant anything. It just completely went over my head. And, but she kept, you know, bringing that up to me and she said, you know what, Alexis, I really think that you should start your own company. And I think it should be on the scholarship. It should be called the scholarship expert. So there you go. She came up with the name and, and then went and bought the domain, created my website, which was horrible uh, at the time, (laughs) (laughs) completely honest. And, um, and just kind of, and just kind of built it from there. And even though I went on a hiatus for about a year or two, uh, when Justin and I started dating, Uh, And then actually, after we got engaged, we decided that we wanted to sort of revamp that. And it just kind of took off since then. This was December 2019. Uh, We created a course workbook planner and all these different things with it all within like three months. It was really insane. It just kind of revamped that. And from that opportunity grew many other ones. And just the idea of learning how to be an entrepreneur and to build something and, and how gratifying it was to just, you know, be your own person and create something that's creating an impact. And I never saw business as creating a social impact. You always have these negative connotations of, of, uh, of businesses and nonprofits are always seen as the way to solve issues, but I, I found a way to sort of merge them. And so starting with a scholarship expert, and then we went to South Africa in January and we were there until March when we were emergency evacuated. And when we were emergency evacuated, we stayed in an RV outside my parents' house for two weeks. And during those two weeks is where Redefine Normal was birthed. And we wow, started writing really? the book. Yes. Okay. And so we started writing the book, came up with our pretty much our first draft. Like, uh, Well, our first draft completed was June, but we came up with the outline completely in those two weeks. And then um, just sort of work through it. And then by June, we had the first draft. And then by November, it was published. And we sold over 4,000 copies and was a number wow. one Amazon bestseller on the first day in three categories. So it's Fantastic. been absolutely amazing. Yeah. And we're self-published. So, which is also unheard of, apparently, yeah. <laughs> to sell that many. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and we have several orders actually in the works for a couple hundred. And so it's it's amazing. Just mm-hmm. really phenomenal how, how that's sort of just taken off and organizations has have uh, taken our book and sort of built like book clubs and entire staffs reading it. And it's just, and getting, now we're working on getting um, integrated into social curriculum and just all these amazing things that are really coming from it. Uh, Oh, how fascinating. So it's actually, it really is, it's now going into the system, basically the systems that are set up when you said about social work and things like this, because it's different insight. I would imagine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's and also so something that's I, never really oh, been talked about. Sorry, it's also something that's never really been talked about. You know, people yes. people talk about adoption and they talk about blended families and so on, but nobody talks about sort of the children that, that flow through 
And, you know, people that do it for the money, people who do it for whatever bad reasons, and there are people who mm-hmm. do it for wonderful reasons. And But it's still, there's still a, a, a shame around it, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how we talk about it. Oh, absolutely. There's a very negative connotation around uh, around foster youth. And that's why a lot of foster youth don't want to own that that label. But I'm very open about it. And I tell everybody that I'm a former foster youth because I own it because I want other people to feel really um, the power to own their own story because nobody can change it. You shouldn't want to change it. This is who you are. And so right. that to me has um, really just empowered me knowing that. And any given day, there's over 400,000 youth in foster care. And wow. in our wow. book, actually, we we were very intentional on how we set up the chapters. So every chapter is a statistic and then a Bible verse because we wanted to show people, you know, this is what the world tells us will be. And then this is what God tells us will be. We wanted our faith woven in there. And uh, because in just in general, less than 3% of foster youth graduate college and 70% of uh, people who are incarcerated had a history in the child welfare system. So these are mm-hmm. statistics that are stacked against us to where we won't get to where we are right now. And, you know, that's that's the huge premise of why we wrote this book is to encourage others to move past what is, has been set before them and those barriers. And that's where Rose was birthed, also in the RV. <laughs> Actually, I didn't know that. That RV, it. I hope you've christened it with something. You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Magic comes from the RV. I don't know if you all ever seen the Breaking Bad show, but I mean, yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's all I'll say. Magic comes from an RV. Oh, man. <laughs> but we, we also, yeah, we came up with the, well, kind of my pastor, uh, my pastor's, um, uh, which is uh, my mentor, his, or sorry, her husband uh, and I have been trying to convince Justin to start a business for a, at least a year now. And but we didn't know what that looked like. We didn't know what it meant, but we knew it was helping young people. And he's just so creative and and a people person. So we're like, we need you to start this. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I think you want to pick it, it up. It really, <laughs> it really started. I mean, I've been in college. It's just been. Uh, I started off as a sports journalism major in my freshman year, and I are just a, a journalism major, but I want to do sports journalism, but. Just with so many uh, mentors that she's introduced me to that I've come across in college and uh, having my pastor mentor me, uh, so many opportunities that uh, and information that I've received, it just kind of structured me to go in a certain direction. And I started to do mentoring with uh, young elementary youth in the community and uh, help and, and mentor some of my peers in, on the college level and reading certain books and getting information. Um, her... Uh, her mentor, which is the pastor's wife, said that uh, it was crazy. She called me like 3 a.m. one day and said, you know what? You're a rose from, from concrete and I see great things and just start prophesying and saying amazing things about my future. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, sure. And then, uh, like two or three years later, you know, it's just been on my heart to kind of the work that I've been doing, the books that I've been reading, all this information that's been gathered to put this into uh, something that's meaningful and impactful specifically for communities. And the Rose Empowerment Group, it stands for Rising Over Societal Expectations, mainly uh, started from when a lot of marginalized groups have a, a pathway structured for them, especially when it comes to maybe uh, black communities. You know, our foundation is enslavement and that, with that foundation, you know, we we exercise our actions and our, our ideas and thoughts out of that foundation. So I wanted to pull those roots up and set a new standard for marginalized groups, for um, people who have these expectations set before them and and really get dig deep into the community impact. So we focus on three components in the Rose Empowerment Group, uh, uh, individual 
which include or myself, which includes character development and individual development on multiple different levels of my community, which focuses on building relationships, group economics, and building trust and accountability within communities, neighborhoods, and relationships. And lastly, my impact, which uh, talks about leaving a legacy and thinking about programs, initiatives, and local businesses and other things that will leave a stamp on a, on a community and a neighborhood. So with those three, we plan on producing many products and books mm -hmm. and other things that will create a lasting impact on individuals and communities. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, that I can is see that fantastic. With fantastic. I can see that with the racialized communities, marginalized, racialized, but also the LGBT communities. Uh, mm -hmm. Follow a very, very similar set of, you know, that person's gay, therefore, boom, boom. And it, it can set mm -hmm. up a whole chain of events that are incredibly self-destructive. Uh, mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So you can you, there are some real parallels between you know groups of people for whatever reason, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender with the trans community, whether it's racialized with the black community or the brown community. They're, they're really very set up in our privileged mind. Yeah, this is not, yeah, the Rose Empowerment Group is not specific to like a certain certain racial group or Oh, no, no, I realize, I realize. Okay, I just wanted yeah. to make sure that it wasn't, I just wanted to broaden the conversation just slightly. Yeah, that was just yeah. my motive, my main motivation, seeing my community yeah. and the struggles that we go through. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So, and now, so, uh, oh, sorry, keep going. Nope, go ahead. <laughs> and now um, Justin's developing like a leadership conference for youth in the community and uh, youth, our uh, children's book series should be coming out. We got, so, a, we got a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, and then um, we're doing workbooks for uh, Redefine Normal, where they're more like companion guides where individuals could really work through the topics uh -huh. in the book for themselves and advocates and things like that. So, mm -hmm. a lot in the works that's coming up. That's a lot in the works. And I love how this is just sort of expanding out into more uh, tools and and really supports that someone can use as when you said the companion what, what did you call it? A companion, companion book or guide. Yeah, companion guide, which I think is a beautiful way to describe that we do need those companions. And it's also very private. You know, it's in addition to having supports and mentors and therapists and social workers, it's also really important to have that inner relationship with yourself. And, exactly. and it sounds like a lot of this is just cultivating and deepening that sense of, of self-trust. Mm. And self-love. Yes, very Self-love. Yeah. Very much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of our... Oh, no, no. Sorry. no. <laughs> um, that's one of our main uh, presentations that we start with when we do um, presentations for former foster youth specifically is self-care and self-love. So that's how we introduce the book, introduce who we are, and to give them some solid takeaways, we always start with the self-care, self-love one. Yeah. Um, I think that really what I, what I was going to say there was in terms of underscoring was that self... Self-awareness, or what people now call mindfulness, is to constantly oh, yeah. be aware of what one's feeling, you know, um, like in our bodies. We don't realize the association between what our, our bodies are telling us and what our emotions are telling us, because we're shut off to both of them. We're running around mm -hmm. up in here somewhere in our brain. Um, but that mindfulness just becomes so empowering, you know. Um, it, it, it keeps kids out of getting into more trouble or even if they want to find it, their gut's going, no, no, no. And eventually they start to listen to it. Uh, maybe, some, maybe we're getting a little uh, uh, overworked with the word awareness, that just that idea of mindfulness, you know, just you know, being mindful of everything that's going on around me. It's well, also, it's, it's it a safety like mechanism.
Yeah, safety. And it also sounds as if, again, cultivating that whether whatever faith, whether it's Christianity, Muslim, Buddhist, doesn't matter doesn't what matter. faith it is, but it's that sense of touching into that spiritual aspect as a source of support, as a source of clarity and, and love. Because you touched a little bit on the shame aspect. And how did you guys, I mean, I know we're, we're going to be wrapping up soon, but how did you work with shame and, and I, in terms of the foster kids that feel that stigma? For, for me, I would say um, mainly just work, talking with young people and sharing my history and what I've gone through. And, you know, you have no shame in your story. You have no shame in what you've gone through. And, um, and you should really own that, uh, really own your story, just because, again, nobody can take that away from you. And um, no matter, especially if you're in foster care, somebody's always dictating your life and what's yeah. happening to you. Yeah. But you have the power to change that. And you have the power to um, really determine your, your next moves and the next things that you do. And, and not looking back at your past, but also really just um, coming to peace with what with what um with what did occur in your life and to to accept it and and move forward so that was where that's what i would say the main things that i try to try to work with young people on is um regarding shame mm. yeah I, mean, I would just i would just say that there is you know we, we a, lot, a lot of times we receive labels like oh you're a foster youth or this or that i mean first off i only my main identity is that you know i want to make this a spiritual show but I, my main identity is being a man of god and the other stuff is just, it's whatever. Okay, I've had those experiences, but they don't determine my identity and my future. So when we think about shame, those are things that happen to you, like we mentioned before, but they don't, they're not, they won't dictate your future and you have to make that decision. Exactly. Our mm-hmm. past can't define who we are. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's very true. You know, I would really love to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we're running out of time already. Uh, um, it goes by so it fast. Goes, yeah. It goes by beyond fast. I know it's beyond fast. Um, I'm getting thank a you little so much, countdown, you guys. but thank you so much for coming. Um, next week, uh, next week's show. I don't know what's going on, Alexia. Well, we're going Over to, to you. be interviewing Gord Riddell and finding out the history of the Transformational Arts College, its inception, which was what like thirty years ago, where Gord decided to start a mystery school in Toronto and the Transformational Arts College. This is a history of a man who is also incredibly spiritual, grew up with an incredibly spiritual family. And I think that we need to share that in the world. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Yay! I love it. Yeah, I've got to study. You know, I don't know anything about the biography. So, <laughs> anyways, thank you so much again, uh, Justin and uh, uh, Alexis and Alexia. So it's Alex, Alex, you. Alex. You know, I'll yeah. be saying it all night. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Uh, and uh, to everyone out there, stay safe, and we will see you or hear from you next week. Bye now. Good night, everybody. everybody. Thank for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 